Hey friends, welcome back to Space for Life. I'm so glad you're joining us. Uh, have a really fun podcast today with a very good friend of mine, J.G. Carter. Um, I've been looking forward to doing this for a good while because J.G. and I have some of the most enjoyable, rich conversations we have for many years now over breakfast. And so I thought it would be fun to have one of those conversations about a topic that we've talked a lot about, identity. And uh, just for you to get to know J.G. and just the amazing person he is and the life and Mm -hmm. the different things that he's done. And then just to have a fun banter back and forth uh, about this topic of identity, which I've come to believe is so important to living a full life and living the kind of life that we're meant to live and that's possible for us to live. So I think it's going to be a, a, a great conversation. I'm so glad to have JG here. Um, I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about what he's done, share a little bit of his life story, and then we're going to dive into this topic. And this is going to be a little bit different from some of our other podcasts and that it's kind of just going to be a free-for-all conversation because uh, that's what we have a fun time doing it. Uh, as always, it would be really helpful if you would uh, share this podcast with any friends that you think might be useful uh, to them. And thanks so much for for joining us for this. So, JG. Hi, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. I'm I was good. thinking about we've taxed the patience of a lot of waiters and waitresses sitting at breakfast tables way past the eating. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Our, you know, typical breakfast of 30 or 45 minutes is usually two hours. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Too much coffee. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a great, um, topic that I know is kind of, you think a lot about and that you have for now many years. So kind of before we get into the topic, I'd love to, for people to just know, you know, what are the things that you've done in your life? Tell whatever go sure. all the way back or sure wherever you want to go uh yeah well again thanks for uh, for having me it's it's fun to talk about it and hopefully it'll be helpful to others as we because we have spent a, a fair amount of time on this topic we beat it up pretty good um i was born and raised here in richmond uh, in a family of faith uh with dedicated blue collar family just kind of middle america uh, went to Freeman High School, graduated there, uh, ended up at VCU, graduated there with a degree in English. And uh, my, as my dad said, he handed me a Timex watch that I think he paid $7 for, which I still have, and it still runs, by the way. Um, and he, uh, he introduced me to the concept of rent, and off I went to go find a job. Uh, with my degree in English and ended up through a long series, not worth telling the whole story now, but I ended up in the mortgage business. Uh, was fortunate to have a company kind of invest in me when I didn't have a lot of experience. I had no experience um, and kind of trained me in that business and ended up building a career in that and spent the next 35 years of my professional life in the mortgage business. So from English major to mortgage business. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, but I, I will tell you, I was fortunate to have some some teachers along the way who really shaped the way I think about language and shaped the way I communicate and shaped the uh, the importance in my mind about being able to clearly uh, explain myself and 
in many ways set me up well professionally, even though I knew nothing about the actual business I ended up getting into. I had to learn all that. I was an apprentice in it. Um, but I was well trained by some really good teachers and I'm fortunate to, to have had them along the way. Um, so, uh, I started out in, in this career, which has been prim- primarily in a sales role, business development role, and, uh, just kind of made my way through it and spent of that 35, 36 years, I spent almost 30 years of it with one company. Um, and kind of grew up in that company, both as a person. I think they hired me. I was 22 years old when they hired me. I had one suit, which my dad had also bought, bought for me. Um, I kept having to change <laughs> my shirts and ties to make sure nobody recognized I was wearing the same suit every day because I only had one. Um, and uh, that's back when we wore suits. But um, I grew up at that company, and that had a lot of tremendous advantages for me, but it also kind of is folds into this conversation we're having because in a lot of ways, as I've described it, my identity kind of got shaped around that company uh, because I was a young man unmarried with no children when I went there. Um, uh, I was fortunate and married Jill and we've had, we had four kids and my adult life was kind of formed out of that little garden that was that company. Um, and for all the good and bad that goes with being with one company for a long time, it really shaped me, uh, in a lot of ways and my identity of who I was in the world and as a professional and as a mortgage banker and as a father and, and a lot of ways it got shaped kind of in some ways I would use the word warped around a company because I was there so long. Why do you say warped? Well, I think. When you when you live a long time, we're kind of jumping right into it, but when you operate a long time and you are not 100%, you haven't fully formed your own ideas about who you are in the world and who you want to be, maybe don't even fully understand some of the things that we've talked a lot about, the, the things that come to bear when you begin to create an understanding of yourself in the world, um, both spiritually and physically, professionally, just who you are in the world. Um, when you start somewhere at 22 and you don't know anything and have to be trained how to do everything and then have some success, it inevitably creates a lens in which you view yourself. And through a long circumstance, we can get into the discussion if you want to, I, that nearly 30-year career um, that I thought would last my whole career uh, as a seri- result of a corporate uh, shake up and a reorganization that 29 plus year relationship ended in a seven minute conversation. Wow. Um, and when that happened without me fully understanding actually what was happening, that lens that I had formed of who I was shaped around that company. When the two got separated, I found that lens was warped. It wasn't it, it, it was wobbly, and it took me a while to understand, in hindsight, maybe some of how that had come to be, some of the decisions that I had made consciously or unconsciously that ended up with me maybe not seeing myself or the world clearly. Um, and the tail end of my career, the last uh, six, seven years of my career, I spent kind of rethinking and understanding and in some ways being healed, I'll use that word, that that lens kind of lost the warp and I think got more clear. 
Hmm. Um, it was like getting a new prescription on eyeglasses, like, ah, okay. And it's only in hindsight, when you get your new prescription, do you realize I wasn't seeing things clearly. And, you know, I was straining to see things as they really were without fully understanding that it's complicated to explain in a sentence or two. Um, but it's a pivotal part of kind of the journey and particularly the journey I've been on the last few years. Yeah. I almost think of, uh, if you go into one of those fun houses that have the, the mirrors that reflect back to you, if you stood in front of the same mirror Mm. day in and day out for 29 years that reflected your body shape a particular way, then you would come to think that, that is my body shape. Right. And that, then if you all of a sudden moved in front of a, a different mirror, hopefully one that did accurately reflect it, it would be very disorienting Yes. for a while until you came to realize that, as you say, that was warped. Yes. I, th- I think over, over time, you, you know, I, I think a tenet in this whole story for me is that no one sees themselves clearly, right? Mm. Um, not a hundred percent and you do your best you can to be honest about who you are and your circumstances and the things that have happened to you in your life. But by definition, our, our, our view of ourselves is always a little bit distorted. It's biased. Um, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. Yes. Yeah. No question. No question. It's just not a hundred percent accurate. And right. it's one of the great blessings in my life. I've been fortunate to have friends like you and others who would speak truth to me, who would say, you know, I, I don't think you are actually understanding this correctly. Right. Um, in, in fact, I had a, a real close friend when that reorg happened. It, it was uh, tectonic in my life because I had in many ways decided, now I'm not sure decided is right. I, I had come to the conclusion, how about that, that I was going to spend the rest of my career doing that. But in the final, in the lighter years, I had become, I had had this kind of nagging sense that something was askew mm. and I could not put my finger on it. But, and you endured a lot of conversations about us, you, you, about that between us where I just had this sense that something was not right well before that change actually happened. And when that change was kind of forced on me, it allowed me, caused me uh, to kind of reevaluate. And I had a good friend in the middle of that when I was a little bit shell shocked out of all of that. He said to me something that was hard to hear. He said, I think that you are not healthy and I don't think you'll understand how unhealthy you are until you get healthy. And then you'll look back and realize, and that is absolutely what it was. Wow. Now I wasn't doing, when I say unhealthy, if you'd looked at my life, there's a lot of success in it. My professional life had a lot of success in it. Um, and try to be a good dad, a good husband, do the responsible things, a good son to aging parents, all of those things that we're called on to do. There weren't any big mushroom clouds, but there was just this nagging sense that something was askew. And only in hindsight did I begin to understand in, in kind of real progressively and slowly over time, I began to realize in some ways I had ceded authority for who I was and authority over my, my life. And in a way that I didn't fully understand to a company, 
and to that profession and to the way I began to see myself in the world. I had kind of surrendered some authority over myself. And in many ways, I used the word trapped, and I've used that a lot with folks right. over the years. I kind of became trapped inside, and, I, and I've talked about this a fair amount, uh, walls that in my mind, Tommy, were two feet deep and three feet thick and 12 feet high. And I had become reconciled to the fact this is where I'm going to, like, this is what my life is, this is where I'm going to finish my career, and this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, but it had just this tinge of dissatisfaction to it that I could not really articulate at the time. I just felt it. I sensed it. Yeah. I think that's so, uh, I mean, I love the way you're describing this because, you know, knowing you and knowing you through a lot of those years, you're right. There's absolutely nothing on the exterior that would have necessarily signaled that something was right or unhealthy in a sense. But something was less than it could be. And I think that so many people, and I can include myself in this conversation about identity, rings very true to me. But so many people perhaps listening can relate to that sense of having something that they have considered or termed an identity that has in some form trapped them where they can't find an escape and yet they feel like there is more to life than this limited identity that they've assumed, even if it's a very successful, uh, effective uh, identity. I think even ministers can be trapped in an identity like that. So I, I think this is something that uh, has a broad sense of reality for so many people. And that's why I love the conversation because it's, uh, it's something that I think you really struggled with. And we had some, we've had some great conversations because we relate so much on it. And yet I think it is so relevant to almost all of us how we limit ourselves with this word identity, which we're going to unpack a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's subtle and it's unwitting in most cases. You right. don't realize you're doing it. And only in hindsight, um, I've used the language that I got rescued. I felt like uh, at the end of the day, and I look back on it in hindsight, I realized that, you know, God created me to walk in freedom. And I had surrendered some of the freedom that was kind of my spiritual birthright in unwitting ways, in ways that they were tied to professional success and they were tied to money and they were tied to wanting to provide. And you, you, could, you could package it, faithful husband doing the right thing, had colleges to pay for, weddings to save for, retirement to fund, all of those things, right? Um, and so you, you kind of unwittingly begin to cede authority over who you are and what you are without fully realizing it. And in many ways, what was this kind of uh, professional explosion that happened as a result of a corporate reorg uh, at a place I thought, well, I'm going to finish my career here, I realized, no, you've not thought clearly about your relationship 
to this company, to your work itself, to your work life, you've not thought about it cleanly or accurately. And I, in the midst of it, I mean, the punchline to the story of being behind those walls, when I finally was kind of rescued, and I use that willingly and very consciously, that word, I was rescued in many ways. I feel like um, God kind of reached in and grabbed me because I couldn't solve for this myself. I couldn't. But as I stepped over those walls, when they came, ultimately came down, the irony is they were paper mache. They weren't real. Yet they held authority over me as though they were. Because so I, had, yeah. I had ceded that authority to yeah. them without ever really understanding. They weren't real. They were kind of, they took their authority because I gave it right. the authority. So in a, in a lot of senses, you're, one of your worst moments, most difficult moments, was your moment of rescue. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Because I think that's... That also is something that surprisingly happens so often is the hardest moment ends up being that that turning point from no being trapped to being free. Right. And and I have grown ever more convinced I'm loved by a God who was not going to accept me living a trapped life, regardless of how much I contributed to it ceded to it, surrendered to it, yielded to it. You could you could use a hundred different words. Um, I struggle to get the right one because it's a such right. a subtle little distinction that that I I could tell that story about that reorg as the company or the guy I worked for was the bad guy in that story. These are things that I, decisions that I had made either consciously or unconsciously, and it was the fruit of a lot of those decisions. Yeah, um, and. So when that all happened, it felt because my identity had become so tied to that organization, my role in that organization, what I did, who I reported to, who reported to me, I had kind of carved a space for myself there. Using some of my natural giftedness, kind of the things that I'm good at, they footed well with a lot of what I was asked to do professionally. They made good money off of what I did, and I made money off of what I did. So there was this kind of channel being cut and I began to float down that channel without fully understanding how that had come to be or what the destination of that channel was. I was just in the channel riding it. And so when the channel shifted dramatically because of external circumstances that I didn't have anything to do with, it, it was disorienting. It was, it was, uh, well, I don't know what word to use, but some of the building blocks shook, right? The cornerstones shook for <laughs> yeah. a minute. And it's only in understanding and navigating that that I look back on it and realize there I now see 10 years leading up to that event these these little whispers that I feel like the Lord was speaking to me about the fact that my identity was not to be wrapped up in some of the things that it was wrapped up in. I didn't have ears for it, so I didn't understood it. I didn't understand it. It felt like static sometimes. But there was this kind of, I've used the term kind of ambient discontent that I could not get my, could not pinpoint. Um, So what happened next? Well, I got rescued. I I got pulled out of those circumstances. Uh, The psalmist says, the Lord heard my cry and he put me in a broad place. I love that term, broad place. Um, because 
I don't know if you're a football person, if you're a running back and you're taught to run between the tackles, meaning you're, you're hitting the holes in the line, it's a little bit simpler to do because you just go hit the hole, right? Go between the guard and the tackle. If they've done their job, there's a little hole, you go in there. But when you break through that line and you find yourself out in an open field, it's a different running style and it's right. more free and it's more creative. It's a little, feels a little more dangerous because you can get blindsided from defenders all over the place. But when you break into that open field, into a broad place, it's, you're allowed to run more freely. And you, you, they talk about football players who are either running between the lines, yeah. between the tackles, or who are open field runners. And I probably was an open field runner that had just resigned myself to run in between the tackles, not to beat the analogy up too yeah. much. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting to me is having known you for, I don't know, 30-plus years or whatever – we never had occasion in any of those 30 years to cross paths on a professional right. level at all. So here in your mind, you're building this uh, thick identity around yourself as a, a successful mortgage banker. And yet all of my contact and knowing of you was completely outside of that right. context, knowing you as a, you know, a creative person, an articulate person, a very um, uh, sensitive listening person. All of these skills and uh, talents and parts of your personality that had nothing to do, in a sense, with this identity that was so significant in your life. It's like, you know, if Probably in a lot of those years, if someone had said, well, uh, you know, what does J.G. do? I went, I think he's in banking. I mean, that would have been about as far as I could have gone. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, that's probably the same way you would have responded to me. Well, I think he owns some businesses. I know that. And yet those identities become so central in our own core um, around these things that we do you know it's interesting I, it's whatever natural giftedness or talent i have i'm pretty good on my feet uh i'm i'm one of those people i'm an introvert i would rather speak to a room of 400 than to kind of mingle in a cocktail party with 20 that's a hard spot for me but i'm pretty good on my feet and because of the work i did i had opportunities to be in front of big rooms of people and i was always more comfortable doing that than the mingling afterwards yeah but i often in, in some ways, I kind of appropriated some of those maybe natural talents or skills or whatever you would want to call them for my own purposes. I kind of used them to my advantage in the work world. Sure. Not a terrible thing yeah, to do, but it's do a that. subtle little yeah. slippery slope to walk down, right? But I often, after doing a public speaking thing where I would speak in front of people, I would have people in my professional world come up to me and it was always a little dagger. They meant it as a compliment, but I'd hear this phrase, man, you really missed your calling. Oh, wow. And they meant that as a compliment. Yeah, exactly. That was their way of saying you did a good job up there. Whether I was emceeing a large meeting, whether I was speaking, whether I was presenting, whatever, they were saying it to be encouraging and to be complimentary of what I had just done. 
And it, I'd come home and talk to my wife about it. It would just be like a dagger in my back. Like I did not want to miss my calling. And it underscored that, that kind of discontent, restless. I don't know what word to use to describe it. It underscored it for me. It was like, it put a laser light on what I was already feeling like. Um, but it served its purposes in my professional life. It actually helped my professional life in a lot of ways, but it prevented me from exploring, well, what, what do you really supposed to use those talents for? How, what are you really supposed to, have you really pursued what you feel called to do versus what's been put in front of you? Yeah. And it, it underscores for me the reality that, uh, sometimes success well, in many ways, success can be a tremendous blessing to ourselves, our families, and others. But it also can become a subtle trap. The more success you have, no question. the more it uh, pulls you into trying to live up to and beyond and continue that to the point where all of a sudden your success becomes your worst trap. Uh, in things. And I'm not saying that's the case for, for everybody, but it's one of these things that I think, um, I think there are a lot of people who feel that what they're best at has become their limiting factor Yes, uh, in things. So that's part of what I want to, I guess, just put on the table for us all to mull on um, within this conversation of identity. So I'd like to kind of shift gears, yeah. even though I know there's a lot more, you know, to your, to your Keep story. Going. Keep going. But um, I want to uh, maybe shift to a couple of quotes that have stood out to me that can begin to highlight and perhaps frame this conversation of identity that I want to dive into uh, more. And it'll be interesting to hear how people um, respond to this. So the first quote is from Tony Robbins, who is probably a mixed bag in some people's minds of some people love him. Some people think he's terrible, whatever, but the quote uh, jumped out to me. He said, the most powerful force in the human personality is the need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves So J.G. and I had breakfast just before this, and I read that quote, and he immediately had the reaction, I couldn't disagree more. And it it took me by surprise because I went, I thought to myself, well, I completely agree with this. And so we unpacked it a little bit, and what I think Tony was saying in the context of his whole conversation is this need that we have to say, to stay consistent with how we define ourselves, the identity, the labels that we put on ourselves are a powerful force, often a powerfully limiting force to who we can become and who we do not become because we've defined ourselves in a particular way so that when we take on identities or we take on these definitions of ourselves. I'm a successful mortgage banker with an important title. They become 
completely defining of everything we do, the words we use, the the clothes we wear, they become, you know, a trap, as you've said it. And I think that Tony was trying to highlight that these ways we define ourselves are often lies that tremendously limit ourselves. Yes. Uh, you took it as him saying that was a positive, which yeah. is really, it, it's I interesting. Didn't, I, when you read it initially, I didn't listen carefully. I quickly assumed what he was communicating was the most positive power, most powerful positive. Right. I, and maybe that was his intent. I don't know. I wasn't in the room when he said it. But as we unpacked it, I do agree now it is a very powerful thing because I've watched myself and others be controlled by it and shape your whole life around it for good or ill in their lives, right? Who they see themselves in the world, whether it's accurate or not, whether it's uh, genuine or not, whether it really is who God made them to be, who they've kind of defined themselves as keeping reconciled to that paradigm that they're operating out of becomes all consuming. Yeah. And I, it, it's powerful, whether it's positive or not, I, we could argue. Yeah. But it's powerful. Right. And it does, I think in many ways explain a lot of people's behavior. Exactly. Um, And mine included, I think uh, to some, to one degree or another, almost everyone I I've met very few people and we all have sensed it when we're around someone who is completely and utterly free to be themselves and kind of comfortable in their own skin. There's, I haven't bumped into that many people yeah. who I would say are walking in the freedom they were designed to enjoy. Absolutely. And I love, I mean, you, you said just such a powerful word related to it that you were rescued from that. Yes. And that's a possibility for all of us, particularly as we define the untruths behind the identities that we assume for ourselves. So the second quote is from Tim Keller, uh, amazing pastor that just passed away in New York. And I love this quote also because it it frames this uh, topic of identity. He said, identity is not achieved. It is received. And what, what I understand from that is that, we often will work and we will turn our achievements, those things that we accomplish in life, those things that we are good at, uh, the, the titles, the awards that we get, and we will turn those achievements into a form of identity. And I think what he was communicating is that the only true identities in life are ones that are received. And if I were to then guess where he was going with this because um, I didn't hear the rest of it. He would say that our really only true identity is who we are as a child of God. Yes. Now I realize some people may not, may not be there, but as, as I've come to receive that it is so incredibly freeing because I now don't have to earn my identity. I don't risk losing my identity because my identity is secure. 
The only other identity that I think is is also received as opposed to achieved is I'm the child of Wardy and Stella Thompson. Mm-hmm. Now, doesn't mean I'm exactly like them in that identity, but that is part of my identity as Tommy Thompson. So when I begin to understand identity that way, then it takes all the other things and says, well, if those aren't identities, what are they? And how do we frame those other things that are so much a part of who we are? So uh, I'm going to list a couple that we've talked about, and then let's let's um, yeah let's go from that. So along with the word identity, we all have certain beliefs about ourselves. Um, they have a certain amount of truth to them. Some of them don't have truth. Some of them are true at the moment, but they may not be true, you know, five years from now. But we have beliefs about ourselves. We'll come back to that. We all have certain competencies or talents that are part of who we are. Mm-hmm. We may be good athletically. We may be good with numbers. We may be good on our feet speaking in front of people. And we also have competencies and talents which we do not perset, uh, do not possess. So I think of one we've joked about it uh, over breakfast. Yeah. Uh, an identity that I took on and was really prominent for me. I can't dance. And so that was not for me something that was a talent that I didn't have. It was an identity that I assumed and nobody was going to get me out on a dance floor because, you know, anyway, competencies and talents, roles, titles, things that we do for a career or things that we, you know, do around the house or uh, different roles that we can, that are roles or titles that we are very prone to turn into an identity, something that we believe defines us when it is simply a role or a title. And the last one I would say is uh, labels, labels that we can't assume. Um, a label might be something like you just used one a minute ago. I'm an introvert. And that becomes a label that we attach to ourselves that in our minds can actually frame what we choose to do or not do because introverts don't do certain things. Only extroverts do. And since I'm not an extrovert, well, I don't do those types of things. Right. So labels are also this. And my thought, you can, I'd love your feedback on this, is that as we can redefine things that we put in a category of identity to realize those are just beliefs that have some truth and are also not true. Or those are talents, which may come and go. Or those are titles, which certainly will come and go or roles, or those are labels, which have some elements of truth, but aren't the whole of who we are, then we can be freed up from being limited by these things in ways that once we call them identities, we become trapped, as you say. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, got a hundred thoughts. Um, 
there's also a conversation to be had about who's the audience for all of this. Hmm. In other words, for whom do you display your talents? For whom does your title matter? Um, because that affects how we think about those things. Uh, whose opinion matters to us? And and uh, on my best days, I, uh, I would say I'm primarily concerned with how God feels about how I'm behaving in the world. Mm-hmm. But on my less than best days, I care about what you think. I care about what the people listening to this podcast think. I care about what the guy at the grocery store thinks. And that shapes how... Uh, I navigate the world and to what degree do I take a belief and try and use it to prop up. And I think that's what Tony Robbins was talking about. We use the talents that we naturally have, the titles we might enjoy, um, the categories that we've either been put in or use the word label or the ones we've chosen for ourselves. When we don't feel our security in the right place, we start using these things either consciously or unconsciously to shore up this identity that we're presenting to the world for a different audience. At least, yeah. I, I don't want to assume everyone does this, but I think that's a, a pretty common technique. Yeah. And, and I catch myself again on my less than good days using them all, anything I got to make sure that people perceive me the way I want to be perceived. Well, exactly. And that, I think that's a great framing that, you know, it, it's what we think others are thinking about us that matters. And, and then I would add to that, that we are all prone to dramatically overestimate how much anybody cares about any yes. of these. We things. made that joke talking about the dancing. Cause I share, I, I do not perceive of myself as a dancer and don't like to dance as a result. Because I think, and you said, I'm worried, you know, everybody on that dance floor is going to look and see how bad a dancer I am. Silly analogy. But the truth is, maybe one or two right near you are going to notice that you're not a particularly good dancer. The rest of the people don't care about your dancing, don't care that you're... And yet, we dance through life, to beat your analogy up, as though everybody on the dance floor was paying attention and cared. Oh, it was was worse. if I got out on the dance floor, all of the rest of the people on there were going to stop what they were doing and they were going to turn around and watch me. And then they were going to start to laugh hilariously about how bad a dancer I was. That's what was in my mind that shaped what I did or didn't do instead of the reality of maybe one or two people noticing, maybe no one, thinking about it for two seconds and never giving it another thought. And yet I was shaping my whole behavior around this identity that I also believed was inviolable, couldn't change. And so therefore it was this constricting thing. I didn't think, well, why don't you go take some lessons and learn to be a little bit looser? Right. You know, it was who I was at my deepest core. So silly, but not unless we call it out like that. And I think the byproduct of that for all of us, as I think about it, two things I think are true about trying to keep these 
pretensions, I'll call them. These oh, masks we wear, mm-hmm. we choose to wear. Sometimes we don't always choose. It just happens. Or it's thrust on us and we start wearing it because it's what people know us as. We kind of play into each of these categories you've listed. First, it's exhausting. Yeah. Because you're not operating organically out of who you are as a person. Just responding to the world and the people around you and the circumstances you find yourself. Responding out of who you were made to be. You're responding out of who you think you need to be or think you are. It's exhausting, number one, I think mentally, emotionally, physically. It's not a natural state, yet most of us live in that kind of low-level exhaustion that comes from keeping all of these pretense sounds harsh and judgmental, whatever, whatever word to use there, keeping these veneers in place. Right. And secondly, the energy that it takes to keep those takes away from us actually living into who we could be. The breadth of who we could be. And the freedom that yes. comes because we've talked about this a lot. You don't, see apple trees straining to create apples a good apple tree Mm -hmm. does what it does the roots do what they do the branches do what they do the leaves do what they do the science takes over and a byproduct of that is apples but you don't sense the tree straining to create it the tree is just doing what was naturally designed to do and the result of that is apples right and and when we extend, if you take that analogy, if we're trying to create apples, something gets distorted, and yeah. it and people live exhausted lives because they're spending some. I know I did, without ever fully understanding it, um, and I think that was the seeds of this low-level, kind of ambient discontent I was feeling along the way. It was exhausting kind of fulfilling these roles that either had been assigned to me or I'd taken on myself. Right. And the thing I would want to call out also in this discussion is this this work that we're talking about to come into a better understanding of who we really are and of the limiting factors of these veneers of identity. It's a lifelong struggle. We're we're in the same age range as one another, and I still work maybe more diligently on this now at my age than I did was it than when I was in my 30s and 40s and was somewhat um, unaware of these limitations that I accepted on myself. Yes. And so this is, this is a long lifetime work that perhaps bears its best fruit with age. So, um, you know, it's not an arrival point. I know you would not say that, wow, I've been rescued and I no longer need more rescue from this. This is a a, a long journey that we all undertake. Well, And I think the Keller quote is a good one there um, because to some degree, hard work and thinking harder and better is not what's happening here. There is a freedom available that can only be received. And it's a daily exercise to receive it and live out of it. And, you know, uh, I spent a lot of of my life figuring things out. And 
it didn't always serve me well, right? Yeah, but I'm going to push back on sure. that a little bit. I think there's very much truth. We can't figure it out on our own. And yet, I think we often need to do the work on our own part of calling out and identifying some of the untruths that we've allowed to become part of our lives. And that's where, you know, as we, as we move to kind of wrapping, trying to wrap up this and put a nice bow on it, whatever, I would like to encourage anyone listening to this to just take a little bit of time to list out on a piece of paper the different roles, competencies, beliefs that you have about yourself, things that maybe you would consider identities, um, labels. You know, we talked over breakfast about, well, I'm an Enneagram 3 or I'm this on Myers-Briggs, these labels, extrovert, introvert. List as many as you can possibly list out and just spend some time with it, looking at it. And realizing it, is this something that perhaps truly describes me at this point in time? But it's not a definer. It's not a limiter. It can change. You can even do that same things with the things that we are prone to say, I can't. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll never do this. No. You may choose not to, but never is claiming an identity around something and just think about it. Have a conversation with your spouse or with a good friend about, you know, have I taken this too far? You know, this label or this title or this status and made it into something that is really just a trap. Well, and you make, I think an important point by adding that step i think that in i agree with you take an inventory as best you know how right and literally that's going to take a little time it's going to take some straightforward thinking some honesty in the mirror kind of thing and it doesn't need to be rushed but keep a list over time devote say devote a period of time i'm going to really think about these things deeply and start taking your categories and saying what do i think about that and then at lay in, if you're an Enneagram person or a Myers-Briggs person, introvert, strength finders, there's lots of tools, right? Right. Take your inventory, but then have a trusted person in your life, if you have one, who has your best interest at heart, but also has the courage to be honest with you, and slide that inventory across the table. Say, this is as best I know how what I see about myself. What do you think? Sure. And and a great easy way to do is say, let's do that mutually. Yeah, sure. And and all of a sudden you you know it takes a little bit of and, the weight and, off and, of it. And if you're married, a spouse is a that's yeah. a that's a great marriage builder thing to do anyway. But I think if you have an honest person to reflect back, right. what you'll see is despite your best efforts, you don't see yourself completely clearly. You can only kind of get your arms around it and it's so helpful to have someone say yeah i see why you would say that but i don't yeah. think that is as as true as you think it's it that is. fun house mirror yes that we assume yes, yeah right. so i'm going to put these couple of quotes in the show notes and just this little brief list of different words that we've used and and hopefully it'll be useful to someone i hope so uh, I, I do 
I just want to state again, I think this is really important stuff. You know, some people might look at it as tremendous uh, introspection and over-introspection, navel-gazing, but I look at it as a, a means of knowing ourselves better. Mm. Uh, and as we know ourselves better, I think there's tremendous, certainly bad news in knowing ourselves better, uh, seeing ourselves for who we really aren't. But there's also some real rescue, uh, freeing news from that. And so I do hope people will do this. Uh, I think you've seen tremendous rescue from that. And I know I've seen I've seen the same thing uh, mm. and potential as I've discarded some limitations to myself and went, why did I for so many years say this is impossible? I can't do this or I'm only this, you know, how how much less my life was because of those things. So I hope this will be a great conversation. I'd love to hear any comments anybody has, um, you know, on this. So uh, thanks. This was the conversation I really no, hope for because we've had some You know, I want to say times. we were built for freedom, and we yeah. rarely enjoy the freedom we were built for, and that's a shame. And there are probably things that we can do to change that, no question. Great. Thanks so much. Enjoyed the visit. Thanks, everyone.